redemption. We talked about how important redemption is. The definition of redemption is this, to purchase release by paying a ransom. To purchase release by paying a ransom. Um, To pay a price to set something free, to set someone free. You see, the Bible teaches that we all need ransomed. That once we reach that age, once we get to that age that we understand that, that we are rotten to the core, that we all need ransom. Sorry, ransom. Every time I say that, I, I, what does it mean to be ransomed? What does it mean, ransom? What does it mean? <laughs> the whole time I'm studying, every time I come across ransom, I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's ruined it for me. You see, before you were a Christian, you were a slave. Most people don't realize that, and, and, and those who are living in that sure don't realize that. But before you became a Christian, you were a slave, a slave to sin. A slave is one that is completely subservient to a dominating influence. That is a slave. In other words, you sinned not because you wanted to, not because you enjoyed it. You sinned because your master told you to sin. That's what you did. You sinned because you were a slave to sin. You had no choice in the matter. That's why these people that point out specific sins, those people who condemn people for specific sins in their life is just ridiculous. We've seen those signs, and I've seen those signs that they say something to the effect that, that uh, homosexuals are going to hell. That is condemning a specific sin when that is not the issue. The problem is not their sin. They are sinners. That is what they do. It is their nature. You see, this is the point, that even if a homosexual stops the practice of homosexuality, he or she will still burn in hell if a ransom has not been paid to release them. And when that ransom is paid, when you are released from the bondage of sin, you are not only released from the bondage from sin, but you are also released from the penalty of sin. That ransom is paid in full. A slave does not see the problem in their sin. Those people out there, those who are still enslaved to sin, they don't see a problem in what they're doing. They don't have an issue with it. They don't understand and they don't even care what the Bible says. They don't care what God says. So when they look at their lifestyles, drunkenness is only a good party. Right? 
There's nothing wrong with that to get together and to have a good time. Homosexuality is just two consenting adults. Porn just adds spice to the bedroom. Sleeping around prevents the pain and the cost of a divorce. And abortion is just the removal of a growth. Kind of like removing a tumor from your body. They don't see the problem. They don't understand the issue. They don't see what the big deal is. That's because they are slaves to sin. But this is the thing. Once you've been redeemed, once you have been ransomed, once your eyes have been opened, then sin now becomes a choice. We choose to sin. You know, many a slave, after they were set free from slavery, went back to the plantation, went back to their masters. Why? Because that's where they were comfortable. That's where they felt at home. They had gotten so used to being slaves that they would continue to go back and to to remain as a slave voluntarily. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound right? For many of us, We've been set free. We're no longer slaves, but we find ourselves going back to that slave. We find ourselves going back to those sins that used to hold us. Why? Because that's what we know. Because that's where we're comfortable. When we were fostering kids, one of the things that absolutely blew my mind is we would bring those kids into our homes and we would pour our love out to them. We would show them all the love and, and proper affection that you could show them. But their, their heart's desire was to always to go home, no matter how bad that home was. Why? Because that's what they got used to. That was normal to them. Living in that environment was normal. Why do abused women go back to their husbands? Because that's what they're used to. They're comfortable in that environment. It doesn't make sense. It's mind-blowing. Why do we who have been set free from sin continue to go back and continue to go back and continue to go back? Because we're comfortable in it. Because that's what we've known. That's all we've known our whole life. And we find ourselves going back there and back there and back there. And God says, you've been set free. You've been ransomed. There's been a price paid. Yes, it's easier to go back. It's easier to go back and let the master tell you what to do. But that's not who we are anymore. Peter mentioned four specific things the last time we were here that we were redeemed from. First, we were redeemed from lust, found in verse 14. Lust is a compelling, driving passion, which is usually for something that is evil. The second thing that Peter said we were redeemed from was ignorance. That's found in verse 14 also. 2 Corinthians 4.4 teaches us that the mind of the unbeliever has been blinded by the God of this age. Once you become a Christian and you have been redeemed, your ransom has been paid, then God opens your eyes and that ignorance is no longer an excuse. The third thing 
that we've been redeemed from is a useless way of living. That's found in verse 18. No matter how successful you are in this life, no matter all the great gains, no matter how much wealth, no matter how much power, no matter what discoveries that you give in this life, it is all worthless if it doesn't bring glory to God. If it doesn't have an eternal effect, it is worthless. What profit of a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? There is no profit. It is worthless. And we've been redeemed from that. As soon as we, we are, are, are saved, as soon as we, the ransom has been paid, then we can find out what it is in this life that we can use to glorify God. And finally, the fourth thing. You have been redeemed from religious traditions from our fathers. Verse 18. You see, much of what, unfortunately, a lot of what we were taught growing up was not biblical. A lot of what we've been taught is man-made traditions. And God says that I will redeem you from that. I will deliver you from that if you will open your heart and your mind. It's just the way it's always been. It's just the way it's supposed to be. I've asked questions. I've questioned doctrines. I've quit, uh, 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 questioned ideas, questioned ideas with the response of that's just who we are. That's not a legitimate answer for me so what was the cost of our ransom verse 18 for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from vain conversation received by tradition from your father but with the precious blood of christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, it never ceases to amaze me when I look at these websites. I go on onto Craigslist or I go to uh, the AV Yard Cell site and I see where people will post vehicles on those sites. And they will put on that, on their, their advertisement, they will put no trade and price is non-negotiable. And without exception, somebody will offer them a trade and somebody will try to jew them down to a lower price. Without exception. We tried to sell our Jeep on there. I just wanted to get rid of the Jeep. I had too many vehicles. And so I posted it on there. I said, no trades. I had at least five or six people send me pictures of things they wanted to trade. <laughs> Psalms 49, verse 7 and 8 says this, No man by any means redeems his brother. Or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. And he should cease even trying forever. You see, God told Adam 
all the way back in Genesis, that the penalty for breaking that one commandment that he gave him would be death. And then when Adam broke it, by God's mercy, he offered a temporary fix. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes the atonement. God says, listen, the only acceptable payment for sin is death. That's it. The blood. Why the blood? Because the life is in the blood. Everything that your body does, the way your body functions, the way your body heals itself is all through the blood. There is life in the blood. You will not live without blood. And he says, because of that, it is the shedding of the blood. It is the sacrifice that is made when the blood is drained out of that sacrifice and placed upon the altar for a temporary fix. There's no exceptions. There's no other way out. It has to be through the death of that sacrifice. The only acceptable payment And this is the thing God tells us today. He says, listen, the only acceptable payment for the sin in your life is either something equivalent to you, which there is none, so it's either your life or something greater than you, which is Jesus Christ. You will pay the price or he will pay the price. That's the only two options we have. You accept the blood that he shed, or you shed your own blood. That's it. No other way. And yet we have people all the time trying to make deals. That's the only deal, though no other things accepted. And yet people all the time want to try to work their way to heaven, or they want to try to make things right. They want to do this, and they want to do that. And God said there's only two ways. You pay for it, or I'll pay for it. Your choice. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 3 says this, For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without nothing. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 18 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the great and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve a living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions, 
that we're committed under the first covenant. Those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a, a covenant is, there must necessity there must necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. You see this? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying this. God gave them a temporary fix. God gave them a band-aid to put upon their sin problem. As we look this morning, as we were going through our prayer requests, and one after another, so-and-so has cancer, so-and-so has cancer, so-and-so has cancer, so-and-so has cancer, this one has cancer, that. And there isn't a single person here today who is not affected by somebody who has cancer. And the one thing that we know is, is that one of the sweetest words that anyone who has cancer can hear is that their cancer is in remission. And what that means is their cancer has stopped growing, that it has gone dormant. The cancer is still there, but it's gone dormant. It's not moving. It's not progressing any longer. It, ha it has laid down and stopped growing. That was what was going on with the shedding of the animal's blood. There was no removal of the sin, but the sin stopped growing. It was a covering. It was something to stop that from moving on any farther in their lives. But it was only temporary. Every year during Yom Kippur, they would have to come in and they would have to sacrifice an animal for the people. Every single year because it was only temporary. And the writer of Hebrews says, understand this. If the animals that were killed was enough to cover sin, how much greater is the blood of Jesus Christ? How much greater is the blood of the Son of God? How much greater when his blood was shed, he didn't just have remission of sin, he had the removal of that cancer from our lives. That's what you want to hear. If somebody has cancer, you want to hear that it can be removed and it will never come back. That's what you want. And the writer of Hebrews says that is exactly what you receive when you receive the blood of Jesus Christ. Life is in the blood, therefore the blood is required. And then Peter calls it the precious blood. We put so much value in precious metals. We put so much value in precious metals, in gold and in silver and in those precious jewels. And when you look at it in the light of eternity, precious metals are worthless. At best, they're asphalt. Right? At best, gold is asphalt. Jesus came to pay a price. As I mentioned earlier, we have two acceptable payments by eternal death or to receive the blood of Christ, which is the greater sacrifice. 
Peter calls it the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. A blemish comes from within. When you have a blemish on your faith, when you wake up in the morning time and you got this big old honking pimple right in the middle of your forehead, that is coming from something that's going on inside of you. It's something that is wrong on the interior, in the inside of your body. That's a blemish. When you have a blemish, it's something inside. Sin is a blemish. It's an outward expression of an inward problem. It's an outward expression of an inward problem. You see, the Bible teaches us that all are born with a sin nature. Every single human being is born with a sin nature. And it is passed down from generation to generation to generation. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says that all have gone astray. Every single human being has gone astray. Romans chapter 7 verse 14 says, so the trouble is not in the law. That's not the problem. For it is spiritual and it is good. The trouble is within me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. And then Solomon says it this way. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. And then John, he takes it just one step farther. He says, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we are not living in the truth. Sin is our nature. Sin was passed down in our nature. So God's answer to that sin nature, how is he going to find a sacrifice that would be acceptable without that sin nature? Without that curse that was passed down through our fathers, the answer is the virgin birth. The virgin births. The curse was not passed on through Christ because of the virgin birth. Jesus was not born with that inward problem. So he had no blemishes. <coughs> Excuse me. A blemish is an inward taint of sin. A spot is an outward stain. A blemish is an inward problem a blot is an outward stain first peter chapter 3 and verse 16 says having a good conscience so that when we are slandered those who revile our good behavior in christ may be put to shame how easy is it to remove a spot from white clothes Ladies, how easy is it to remove a spot from white clothes? Somebody spilled grape juice on their white shirt. How easy is it to remove that spot? 
it's almost impossible. And typically, you never remove that spot. So let me ask you this. How hard is it to remove a spot from your reputation? If you have a spot on your reputation, how hard is it to remove that? Just when you think you have it fixed, just when you think that everybody's gone who knew who you were in the past, you meet somebody that you used to run around with years ago, and all they do is remember what a party animal you were. Man, you were the life of the party. I'm not that person anymore. Ah, come on. Whatever. You're just kidding me. No, I'm not that person anymore. We get this vision in our head of people and a liar's always a liar and a thief's always a thief and a cheater's always a cheater. It's almost impossible to remove that spot from your reputation. Jesus said in John 14, 30, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And listen, but he has nothing in me. Jesus said he has nothing on me. Understand this. He has nothing to throw at me. He has nothing to use against me. He can't accuse me of anything. He, my reputation is spotless. He has nothing on me. Nothing. Peter says that's the way we should live. So when people talk about us, when people slander us, it will put them to shame. People ain't going to listen to that. They're not going to hear anything they have to say. Why? Because you have a good reputation. Because you're living for God. Because you're serving God. And let somebody talk about you and nobody's going to believe it. That's the life we need to be living. I don't believe that for a second. Let somebody speak about one of you guys. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. Jesus says, my conscience is clear and my reputation is spotless. Jesus' blood is the most precious blood ever because he is the only human being to ever live a perfect sinless life. His blood is precious. And I, I, I just kind of feel like I need to point this out. It's probably common sense that the blood represents life and not the fluid. Otherwise, Jesus could have just gave blood and went and poured his blood upon the altar. We understand that, right? That this isn't talking about the fluid that came out of his body. This is actually talking about the life that he gave. I also want to point out this. When Jesus shed his blood upon the cross, I mean, the sacrifice was to, they were to drain the blood from those animals. They died from blood loss. Jesus didn't die from blood loss. Jesus voluntarily gave up the spirit. They didn't drain his blood from his body. He determined when enough was enough. He determined when it was time to go. He was in full control the whole time he was on that cross. The blood had the life. 
in it. All life was removed from the sacrifice. Look at verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Before the foundations of the world, think about that. That is one of those things that absolutely blows your mind. Before man was made, before man sinned, God had already made a plan of redemption. Before the earth was even formed, God had a plan. They already planned to send Jesus to this earth to redeem us before we were ever even made. And yet God, knowing all of this, still made us. Man, if that don't blow your mind, nothing will. He made man knowing that they would deny him, that they would reject him, and that they would rebel against him. And he made us anyway. He made us with a plan. A plan to pay a ransom for a price that we couldn't pay. And he did it anyway. And see, this is the other thing. It's showing us, it says, listen, this... this Redemption was not a knee-jerk reaction to, to Adam falling into sin. It was already figured out. It was planned out long before the earth was even formed. This was in God's plan from way before we were even thought of. <clears throat> the plan has always been to send Jesus. It has always been the plan but was manifest or has appeared. You see, this gives the idea of making something clear in history. In this context, that thing which was made clear is Jesus Christ becoming human. Up until that point, up until the point that Jesus was born, up until the point that, that, that he became human, this was a mystery. The Old Testament saints, they didn't understand this. They didn't understand what was going on. The Jews of that time didn't understand what was going on. It was a mystery to them. And it wasn't until Christ was born, it wasn't until God revealed this, this plan to those that were close to Christ that it became revealed. And now it's been revealed to all of us. And now we can see what God's plan was all along. And then he says, in the last times, this is the period between the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We're in that time that he's talking about. This word time has the idea of a planned event on God's calendar. This was one of those, this redemption, Jesus dying, this was a planned event. The whole thing on God's calendar and God's calendar was filled out long before the world was ever made. And then he says, 
It was all done for you. There's another one of those mind-blowing things when we think about God. He says all of this was planned for you. To think that before the world was created, before a single human being was made, God had a plan for you. He had a plan. When he came up with redemption, he thought of Butch. He had a plan for Katie. He had a plan for Jay. He had a plan for Ron. He had a plan for Mark. He had a plan for Larry, for Melissa, for Jennifer, for Gabe, for Larry, for Ransom, for Brittany. He had a plan for all of us. When he was making a plan, he was thinking of Betty. He had a plan. And that plan included Nathan. He had a plan. And that included Rhonda and Misty. He had a plan. And your name was in his mind while he was making those plans. Think about that for a second. Before the world was created, you were in his mind. And he created this for you. It's amazing to me. And then he raised him from the dead. You see, this is the thing. You can trust in Jesus Christ. You can trust in who he is. Why? Because God put his stamp of approval on everything he did when he raised him from the dead. Approved. It was God's way of saying amen. Yes. He raised him from the dead. That is the proof that he was the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. The resurrection was God's stamp of approval. Not a single other sacrifice ever got up and walked off of the altar. This was God's way of saying, this is it. This is the last one. This is the perfect one. He was sacrificed, and then he was raised from the dead. And then it says he gave him glory. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, he was crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God elevated him to a place of the highest honor. And he gave him a name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Because of what he did, because of his life that he gave, because of the suffering he did, God has lifted him to the greatest of glories, to the greatest of honors. That's why it drives me crazy when people talk disrespectful about Jesus. Uh, He deserves the greatest honor 
and the greatest glory. And then he says this, and we're going to close with this, that your hope might be in God. There is no other way. There is no other way. There is no other choice. There is no other options. The only way that that ransom will be paid is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. That's the only way. You can't work your way there. There are no other gods that will get you there. Not all roads lead to heaven. Jesus Christ is it. He is the only way. And you will accept that or you will pay that ransom yourself. Would you stand to your feet? The ransom that was played was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that before this world was even formed, before a single molecule came together, you had a plan. And God, in that plan, you were very specific, God. You had a plan. And by name, by faith, by face, by spirit, God, you were thinking of each of us in that plan. And God, I thank you that that plan plan included Bobby Page. That it included Misty and Joyce. God, I thank you that it included every single one of us here today and all of those at Breshi Knob and all of those at the assembly and all of those who have accepted Jesus Christ. You were thinking of them when you created this. And how precious is that? That you sent that son of yours, that precious man who lived a perfect, sinless life to shed that blood. God, not just to cover my sin, but to remove it, to remove the, the chains that, that bound me, to remove the penalty that I owed. And for that, God, I thank you. And I humbly bow before you today, God. I pray we never forget the cost. We never forget the price that was paid for our ransom. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, as we leave this house, God, I pray that we're able to tell others about this precious price that's been paid and to remind people that there's only one way. Give us a boldness, God. Give us a boldness to speak of that only way. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.